ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the San Diego County Bicycle Coalition's podcast, The Weekly Spoke. My name is Elizabeth Bowersox, and unfortunately, our dear friend Daniel is on a train from Santa Barbara right now while we're recording it, so he won't be joining us. But I have a really special guest with us uh, this week, and I'm excited to introduce him here in a bit. Um, but we want to introduce this episode. This is episode four of the Weekly Spoke, and the title of our podcast is BWR. And for those of you who don't know, BWR is a gravel road mountain race, pretty much just a whole smattering of uh, styles. Um, it's the, the waffle is like 138 miles. Um, and this event happens, it starts in San Marcos, California, North County, um, San Diego, and tons of people come out to witness this amazing event. And we just wanted to share uh, one of our staff members actually was uh, was involved in this, and that staff member is Will Radigan. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Will. We're very excited to have him on the podcast, our first guest. Um, and hey, Will, what's up? Uh, we're 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 wondering how to, just how is your experience uh, with BWR? Yeah, hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Uh, it's great to be here at this illustrious stage. Uh, BWR is Belgian Waffle Ride, uh, and it was probably one of the hardest bike rides I've done in my life. Uh, it started in San Marcos and went all the way up to well above Ramona and then back. Uh, yeah, I think it was 136 miles, maybe seven miles in total. Uh, and it was everything from really nice, fast paved roads to dirt roads to some really rough single tracks. So it was a little bit of everything. I think the winners did it in about six and a half hours. I did it in about eight and a half hours. So it was a long day out there. Uh, but I had a lot of fun. So um, let's see. Shall I just describe my... <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, we're we're still trying to navigate podcast land. Um, but no, I'm super curious. Eight and a half eight and a half hours, that's a long time to be in the saddle. I think the longest I've been in the saddle is like six and a half. That was my my first century, and that was like on the coast. I mean, that was like maybe a few summers ago, but that was like really slow, I feel like. Um, but what kind of fuel did you take? Like, what what did you prepare? Did you have a backpack? Like, what did you wear? Like, it, it just seems like it's all these, like, it's not really a road ride. It's not really, like, it's not one or the other. It's just like a crazy chaos. So how did you prepare? And like, what, what were you, what were you wearing? What was your uniform? Sure, that's a great question because I think the food is where I really messed up. Uh, I think it would have been out there for a bit less than eight and a half hours had I been a little smarter in the food department. Um, because my thought was that it was such a long ride that I would need to eat a lot of solid food, like really high-calorie solid food. I couldn't just make it by on, on gels and energy drinks. But uh, the thing was, it was really full gas racing from the start, and a lot of it was really rough terrain, and I just could not chew anything. Uh, I couldn't, even a cliff bar was hard for me to get down, just because my mouth was so dry, it was rattling around. Um, so what I did before the race is I was trying to think of what are some easy high-calorie foods I can make. I made a bunch of banana pancakes with, with chocolate chips and coconut, like a ton of sugar, carbohydrates, 
Sounds great, right? I thought it sounded like a great idea. Uh, but then I got into the race and I put my first pancake in my mouth and it, I was chewing it for probably five minutes trying to get the first bite down just because my mouth was so dry and, and it was just a total disaster. I also brought peanut butter sandwiches, even worse. Made rice balls a little better, but still not great. Um, and so I made a ton of all this food, and it was really sad because I ended up wasting most of it because it just kind of sat in a top two bag for about eight hours yeah. in the sun, with, yeah. and I was barely able to touch any of it. Um, so food-wise, I really messed up. There were neutral aid stations where I could get food, and also um, my, my girlfriend and my friend were out on the course, um, and they handed me some snacks at a few places, and that was helpful. But they kind of only got the message halfway through that the solid food was not working. And they gave me some gummy bears and other stuff like that. That, that went down a little better. Um, but aside from food, um, what I carried, well, my, I carried with me, I had a saddlebag with just a tube and levers uh, and a multi-tool. I had a little frame pump strapped, a little lightweight frame pump strapped to my bike, uh, two bottles, and then a top two bag where I kept all my snacks. We know how that went. Um, and then just my kit. So traveled pretty light. Other people were even lighter. You know, I think a lot of the, a lot of the pros didn't even bring a saddlebag. They kind of just crossed their fingers and hope they didn't get any flats because if you get a flat, you're probably not going to do very well anyway. I have a a question. I have my hand raised. I'm like, (laughs) so, uh, I was watching like some of the coverage on, um, their Instagram on BWR Instagram and, uh, just watching the pros like absolutely grind for their life. Like, and Pete Stetna had this wrist injury that was holding him back. Um, but it was so crazy to just see like the mental determination of, of each of like those, the top, like, I mean, top 15, top 20, like all those guys are just like equally like hunger, hungry for it. Um, but did you, did the pros have like, um, what's it's it's what's the word they're like cars uh not they're like cars that help that have water and they hand them water they hand them food or something like is that something like can the pros bring their own cars there like okay yeah (laughs) yeah sure so the rule was you couldn't have uh personal support vehicles but you could get handoffs from the side of the road and so there was a car following the pros the whole time I actually got to see a bit of it because I was riding with the women's leaders for the first oh, 70 miles or so. And yeah. so there there was a car next to us and a motorcycle and uh, a bunch of drones flying overhead for a bit, which was pretty cool. Wow. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but I was kind of unclear in that rule, but a car drove by and asked the women's leaders if they needed any food. And I think the car, I don't, I didn't see them do the handoff, but I think the rule was the car could pull off and hand them food, but... They couldn't do handoffs from the car, so not quite like a regular road race where they'll do hands off from the car, but um, they were still getting some support out there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. I'm just curious as to the setup because I think I don't know. Honestly, like next year, I think I want to get out there and try the wanna like uh, just to start somewhere. Um, yeah. And then and then on another page, they had the women's coverage, um, which was really cool to see. Did you want to say something about that? Uh, if you look at the women's coverage, you'll see me. Oh, a lot of pictures of me as I'm getting smoked by the lead woman. Yes. Yes. Cool. 
yeah. So this is this event is uh, a big thing in the cycling community, um, and it's really cool that we get to have something like that in San Diego too. Because I think it's there's like Utah and there's Oregon or there's like it, it, the Belgian Waffle Race itself happens uh, in multiple states, um, but the California branch is down here. Um, so that's really cool. Um, okay. Let's get into some of your, how you're feeling mentally. Um, when, can you tell me a time, I'm sure there were like a hundred times that day that you felt like not only you were bonking, like, you know, your brain's just like, that's the worst. <laughs> your brain, like you can't even think. It's just like you're, you're blacking out basically. But was there a climb that was like crazy and you kept having to like do your self-talk and, and coach yourself through it? Because I know sometimes when I'm doing something really hard on the road out there, it's I'm literally speaking like audibly to myself as if I were my own coach. And that's for like low stake situation. This was a high stake situation. Plus like all the riders around, like it would be, uh, you have to be comfortable riding in a peloton, riding in a group, you know, shoulder to shoulder. So can you tell me about some of those experiences? Sure. I think there were probably two low points in the race for me, and they were both pretty linked to my inadequate food preparation. So uh, as I said, I was I was riding in a pack of probably seven from mile maybe 20 to 70 or so, and that was the two lead women and then five men. Um, and we were really moving along quick. And I kind of thought, this might be a little faster than I can hold for 135 miles, but you get such a nice draft that I wasn't willing to just <laughs> let that go, you know, uh, yeah. because I'd lose so much time if I just ease off the pace a little bit. But um, around mile 70, I really hadn't eaten much yet. I just, all the food I had with me, I was not being able to get down. Uh, so my legs started feeling really bad. Uh, and then that kind of, we got into a just long, gradual gravel climb. And at that point, I don't know if I decided or not that I was not going to hang with them. It may not have been a decision so much. <laughs> but I, uh, I got dropped off the back of the pack, and I was starting to feel really rough. And then from there, we went into this like probably hour to hour and a half long gravel section, probably the hardest part of the race. Like really nasty washboarded sandy roads into really rocky kind of truck trail double track. Uh, and I was so hungry and was starting to bonk. Uh, and at that point, I kind of just went into survival mode and said, all right, you know, people can pass me right now. This, right now, it's not race time. It's it's survival time. And I just tried to hang on. Uh, and then I made it, and there was an aid stop at the end, and there were a bunch of bananas and goos, and I just, like, ate as much as I possibly could. And then I started feeling really good again, actually. Like, it was – my legs were fine. It was just, like, it was out of fuel. And once I filled the gas tank up again, it felt great. Uh, and so then I was doing pretty well. I got on another pack for another probably – 50 miles or so, uh, until I started getting these awful cramps, probably also because I hadn't been eating and drinking enough. So I was just, I was feeling really good, and then all of a sudden my right leg just seized up, and I just had to get off my bike and kind of chug a bunch of water and shake it around frantically until it would start feeling better again, and the nice thing was, like, the cramps actually were going away really quickly, but they were just so bad that I couldn't even ride and, like, had to shake them out for a minute. Then I'd be all good to go again. So it was probably really annoying for the people around me, because I would I would 
I would pass them. I would get a, a, a good distance ahead, and they would see me off to the side of the trail, like, shaking my leg and, and trying to recuperate, and then I would just do that again and again. Uh, so that was the second hard part, and I realized there was a third. The third was just food thing again. It was the final climb going up Double Peak oh my God. in San Marcos. I was feeling rough. I didn't stop for more food at the bottom. I don't know why. I thought it was only 10 miles left. I had a full bottle of Gatorade. I thought it would be enough. And kind of just halfway up, uh, all of a sudden, the the lights shut out. And I just could not move anymore. And I had to, like, get off the bike, scrounge around my pockets for whatever, like, little bits of food I had left in there. Found a half cliff bar. Again, could hardly chew it. Was able to do it. And then kind of brought me back to life. And then I got back going on Double Peak. And right by the top, I saw one of my friends there who was going out to cheer. And he had a banana with him. And that banana was like, it brought me back to life. It was like resuscitating a zombie. <laughs> and I had that banana. And all of a sudden, it was like I had gone 130 miles. And I felt great again. Like this banana just turned it all around. So then I got to the end. But it really taught me that, you know, the, the human body is very much, it has a, a gas tank. And yeah. if it is not filled, you feel really bad. And as soon as you fill it, you're great. So yeah. that, was, that was, was really hard. Well, yeah, the, the human body is a machine, and you need to fuel it. And there is a gas tank. And if there's nothing in the tank, you will not go. You will not move. Um, I, I love that the banana saved my life. I think we should make stickers of those, of that. <laughs> The banana saved my life. Um, bananas, man. Okay. Well, that's the moral of the story. Bananas. Um, that's amazing. Um, how do you know the grade on Double Peak? I've been I've been really curious to go up there, but it's is dang steep, right? Yeah, it's really steep, and it's the last climb of the course, which is what made it really brutal. I want to say I heard. I don't know. I thought I saw someone say it hits 23% at one point, but that's pretty obscene, so probably not quite. Well over 10 at points, I'd say. Elizabeth is finding us the Strava segment, so we know exactly how steep this thing was. Okay, uh, so it's the final stretch is... Oh, it's only an average of 8.3%. That's, that's not too that's bad. actually pretty bad. Like, okay, here we go. It's... Oh, it gets to... Gets to 12, at least. Yeah, there it is. 30, 30%. 31%. 31.6% is the steepest grade we have. So I actually underestimated how steep it was. Because, so, like, when you see it says average grade, you're like, oh, 8.3. That's just, like, that's, like, a little bit worse than Tory Pines. Like, if you guys have ridden outside Tory Pines, like, I think that's, like, not even, that's, like, a 4% grade or something. Um but 31, um, oh, it also, oh, 32.3. I see 32.3. So that's disgusting. And at that point, that's when I worry that I'm going to lose traction on my back wheel and that I'm just going to, like, f like I'm just going to wash out and fall over. That's, like, so scary. I feel like, did you, did people, like, were you standing up? Were you tacking, like, it was just a full out like stand up and let's go. Okay, Will's shaking his head yes. He's nodding his head yes. Um, man, I see people out here doing this all the time. I what am I doing? Um, 
Okay, so we love that. We love the double peak at the end. That was that's very brutal. <laughs> Marks had a had a vendetta out. He's <laughs> just like we're gonna we're gonna make. Every was there also was there a double peak climb at the beginning too? Okay, yeah. So basically, there's one at the beginning and one at the end, right? Yeah, I think in previous years there was a huge bottleneck at the start of the first single track. So this year, in order to spread it out they decided they were going to throw in this giant climb in the first two miles, and it totally worked. Like yeah, to, to spread it out enough so there wouldn't be a bottleneck at the start of the single track. And it totally worked. Um, and I I may have gone a little too hard there because I was really excited to get to the front of the pack, and so I like really went hard at that first hill. I think I'd do it again, but probably, probably tired me out a little bit for the rest of the race. Um... But yes, two ascents at Double Peak, which is one of the tougher climbs in San Diego. You didn't go quite to the top of the first time, but you were pretty close. And, and uh, how was it? So, okay, there's obviously that, that aspect of climbs. Um, the descents. Did you feel like, were you in a pack where there were a ton of people descending at like 40 miles an hour and you were like scared that you were going to get whacked? Like, tell me about that. <laughs> Yeah, the descents were just really, really fun. Like, these are some of the best roads for descending in San Diego. Uh, probably the craziest one was at the start of the race. You climbed up most of Double Peak in the first five miles, and then there was a little single track section, and then there was a descent all the way down Double Peak to Elven Forest. Um, it's probably five miles, uh, maybe, you know, average 8% the whole way, we'll say. Uh, and a bunch of switchbacks and kind of some potholes in the road. And, uh, yeah, it was crazy at that point in the race. Like everyone was trying to get together and get in a fast pack. Uh, so we were just flying and whenever someone passed you, they tell you to like get on and work together to catch the pack in front of you. And everyone was yelling at each other. And, uh, it was a little scary at some of those corners. My front brake felt a little loose. So I was felt feeling a little dicey there. Ended up being fine. Um, and then the other really fun one was going down uh, from Ramona mm -hmm. on Highland Valley Road. Um, that was just a really nice, smooth road. Bunch of nice um, chicanes. And that one, I was in like a seven-person pack, and we were all just flying. It wasn't so much scary, just a ton of fun. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, yeah, I, I grew up in Ramona, and when I first started riding, um, I was still living out there um, and going out like the Highland Valley road and the grasslands out there. It's like such a beautiful place to ride. And then there's that Highland Valley that, that connects like bottom of San Pasqual Valley up to Ramona. Um, I haven't got, I don't, I haven't had the courage to, to do either, either way, descending or ascending. I think I want to get out there with some of my friends and try it for the first time. Um, but it's really cool that the, the ride highlights some of the lesser known, areas of San Diego and the beauty it's just such a it's such a specific like unique environment down here um and there's just like so much there's so much uh diversity in the the foliage and the ground type and it's just it's so interesting and to get to experience nature on a bike like that is just something that that's amazing and really cool for everybody and um you know some people make it a race some people it's just a whole day out on their bike and um there's really I don't know I'm I'm looking forward to maybe doing this myself next year um 
136 miles is is a lot, but I feel like when you get to like mile, I don't know. There's this there's this like plateau, right? When you get to like mile 80 and you're like 20 miles or like, you know, like were you were you plateauing at any point? Were you were you like what were you telling yourself? Were you looking down at your did you, you probably no, okay, tell me about this. Yeah, so I actually didn't even have uh, a GPS computer in my bike. Uh, I I had an old one my dad gave me a while ago, probably because it didn't work. I tried to use it, it didn't work. Uh, so I just thought I would um, cheat off other people's bike computers, which is what I did. So whenever I passed someone in the, in the pace line, I would kind of just take a peek, <laughs> see where we were. <laughs> And honestly, I think it was better that way. I think like seeing that I had over a hundred miles to go for most of the race just really would have been demoralizing. Without it, I just didn't think about it. It was just I was in the race. I was trying to stick with the pack. Tried not to think about how far I had to go, um, which I think was for me probably better. Yeah. Um, so, but there was a plateau a little bit. Like I remember, I I, I found out we hit a mile hundred. Someone said so. And normally, like, we, w- we still had 37 miles left to go, which is a fairly long ride. Um, but I was like, oh, man, we are almost there. Like, it is, you know, like, like it's time to start sprinting. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, just because when the ride is that long, it, it puts everything into perspective. And yeah. once you've already gone 100, like, another yeah. 30 is nothing. I yeah. Can, and, and some, I, Colin, Colin Strickland didn't race this, right? I don't think he was – I don't think he was there. Um, but – if you follow him on Strava, he I mean he's go he goes out for like two hundred mile gravel rides. It's like what? <laughs> like how? Like hundred miles is a lot, but like just double that or three hundred. Like oh my gosh, some of these guys are insane, and and what they can do is just so admirable. And uh, we admire you for getting out there um, and and uh, having fun and getting through that. At least you learned a lesson <laughs> about fueling. Um, but like you just. I don't know, after after a long ride, you're just like, I can eat whatever I want, I can rest, I can, like, all those things that uh, once you complete that, I feel like your your mind is, uh, you're just in a good headspace, like, once you get past the bonking part, <laughs> um, but, like, you know, how are you feeling after, and are you sore this week, like, what's, what's the post-race uh, vibe? Yeah, I think... First off, it definitely gave me a lot of confidence because I think my second longest ride ever was 100 miles, and that was not a race, and this was a race the whole way. Um, but I finished it, and I was like, oh, great. I can do that. That's that's reassuring. Um, but afterwards, you know, I think for a couple of hours after, I still just was on adrenaline because it was, like, so fast, and and uh, you really had to be focused the whole time to not crash on these technical sections that I, I wasn't even that tired, weirdly, you know? Yeah. And then I kind of woke up the next morning, and I still felt okay. And then through that next day, I just got more and more tired. (laughs) And then I, like, went to bed at, like, 9 p.m. the day after. And the next day after that, too, I was just totally wiped out. And today, I've – it's now been three days, and I'm starting to come back to life. Um, But definitely gave me a lot of confidence. Makes me want to do it again, honestly. Makes me want to do some more races like this again. Um, So I think if if anyone wants to kind of expand their horizons and and push themselves, um, doing this or another – big, long gravel ride like it. It's an awesome idea. You build a lot of confidence and feel better about your abilities on a bike. So I would recommend. Okay. Well, Will, thank you so much uh, for 
coming out to the studio today um, talking about Belgian Waffle Ride. Um, we're so proud of you, and hopefully next year some of us can, can come out with you, and if not, then we'll support. Um, but, yeah, we just wanted to kind of talk about this big uh, cycling event that happened this weekend, and if you were in San Marcos and you're just like, why is it so busy? It's like probably because of that, because <laughs> um, they had the wafer, or the waffle on Saturday and then the wana and wafer on Sunday. So, like, the big one Saturday and then the shorter – um, still challenging uh, routes happening on Sunday. Um, so thank you, Will. We appreciate your time coming out. Um, and real quick, before we sign off, I just want to um, wish everyone a happy bike month. May is bike month. So make sure to get out there, uh, experience what the world has to offer on a bike. Um, the San Diego County Bicycle Coalition is having a bike month kickoff party um, at the Courtyard in downtown San Diego. Please come and check it out. We're doing a bike ride at 5 o'clock. We're going to come back and get some food and drink, and we're going to have a musician, and it's going to be wonderful. So make sure to – we have info on our website, um, sdbikecoalition.org, and it's also uh, Bike to Work Day is May 19th, and I'm sure there are local pit stops in your area um, to, to – uh, fuel up and and uh get you get on your way uh, on your bike to work day adventure and we have a bike to work day pit stop here at the office at the coalition office on uh 15th and k 315th street um it is a tropical theme um bike to work day pit stop so we're gonna be uh it's like Nook Island because we're sharing, we share the office space with the Nook apartment. So Nook Island, everybody, um, come check it out. Uh, we appreciate your feedback and want to hear from you. So make sure to check out our socials, Instagram, Facebook, uh, and have a wonderful bike month. We will see you next week for a new episode and happy riding, my friends. Happy riding.